Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 3, Episode 11. Hello and welcome back. I know, you never went anywhere, and neither have I, but the increased workload due to COVID-19 wound up exacting an unexpected cost. I suppose I could say that I took a longer-than-expected Easter break, but the truth is there was no break involved. So thanks for your patience, and I expect to be back on track. Now, I hope you're doing well in the midst of all of this history being written. You know, for my parents' generation, the question was, where were you when Kennedy was shot? For me, where were you when the space shuttle exploded? And then there was, where were you when you heard about 9-11? It's kind of too bad. For this generation, the question will be, where were you during the COVID-19 lockdown? And the answer will be pretty much the same for everybody at home, like everyone else. Well, while you're there, create some good memories so you'll have some stories to tell the younger ones who follow on behind. Which leads me to this. I think I might have been an annoying dad. And yes, I have apologized to our daughter. See, there's a point to that observation. A few years ago, she'd gone to an event, a concert or some such thing, and I asked her, how was it? She responded, there were a ton of people there. My response? So based on the average weight of Americans, that's like 12 to 15 people. That would be a ton. Okay, in retrospect, I was not being annoying. I was helping hone her critical thinking skills. The whole point of this is that metrics matter. As a leader, you need a good metric system. No, wait, that's not quite. Let me explain. It's fine in social informal settings to say things like there were a ton of people there. In literal terms, though, that doesn't mean what you want it to mean. You mean to communicate abundance, but for armbone literalists like me, I can interpret that as scarcity. When I was in college, one of my friends worked for a fast food joint. One night, an over-alcoholized driver came through the drive-thru, and he said something like, give me a whole boatload of hamburgers. My friend asked, uh, and how many might that be? The driver responded decisively, 13. Now, I suppose if you're feeding a ton of people, you will need a boatload of hamburgers. Well, when people are working remotely, it's not helpful to know whether they're working enough hours. See, time does not equate to productivity. This is not about butts in the seats. See, this is why metrics matter. There are a lot of leaders now who are managing remote teams, well, kind of unexpectedly. Remote leadership got dropped into their lap, and suddenly the people used to show up at the office are doing all of their work online. If you're in that situation, you've probably already learned this lesson. You can't count hours when that's not what makes for success. As one observer put it, the thing you measure is the only thing that matters. See, this is complicated because now, as a leader, you're responsible for managing other people's time. This is way different from just watching people's attendance. Why? Well, just like earning stars in second grade, grown-up people still like to rack up points. Measure hours, and hours you shall get. Measure phone calls, and phone calls you shall get. Here's the thing, though. Neither hours nor phone calls are the real measure of success, probably in any field. 
measure the thing that actually gets bottom line results and not a phony metric that can look good without actually doing anything. Listen, I've been working remotely for most of my career and there are things that I learned along the way that might be helpful to you when you're leading a remote workforce. First, the eight-hour day is a myth. Studies have shown that people are not capable of working eight hours straight through, even with a lunch break. This is all the more true if their role includes what Peter Drucker called knowledge work. In other words, your most productive, creative, and innovative people have their limits, and those limits probably do not align with your expectations. Some of your people will work uh, in two to five chunks on a given day. For some people, these chunks are four hours, but for others, they're shorter. And they need breaks between those chunks to let their brain breathe a bit. In an actual brick-and-mortar office setting, people generally work about five hours a day. That remaining three hours is spent in conversations, getting the brain moving again, or just creatively goofing off. See, exactly the same thing has to happen for remote workers. Allow the freedom to build some slack into the day. See, that's an important principle for managing others' time and workflow. For me, I've found that I have a productive block in the morning, and then again in the late afternoon through the evening. My early afternoon is when my mind is at low tide, and I know that, and I've designed my day around it. See, if you want to enforce some discipline, do so in a way that's compassionate. Draw firm lines around the day so people know when they can be done. I just mentioned this to a friend of mine earlier today. Unless I'm teaching face-to-face, I cut off my workday at 9 p.m. And that's been an important discipline for me. If I don't draw those lines, work can totally run over my personal and home life. When I led a more traditional work team, we set core hours. Everybody has to be available between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. But beyond that, make the rest of your workday fit the way you're wired up. Those core hours let us collaborate and interact with one another. Beyond that, your schedule is up to you. Just this morning, I got an email from a colleague and the timestamp was 2.45 a.m. Clearly, he's a night owl. And this is not the first late night interaction we've had. Here's a bonus story. One night after I'd taught a late class, I was at my computer and I got an email from this same colleague. It was about 1.45 a.m. and I thought, good grief, man, don't you ever sleep? And then I realized, who am I to talk? See, the point is that when people are working remotely, they need the flexibility to fit their schedules without neglecting the needs or expectations of the clients or customers they serve. You know, in a lot of industries, workplaces have implemented what's called ROW, Results-Oriented Work Environment. Well, for long-term remote workers, we've been doing that kind of thing for a long time. It's about getting done with the work that needs to be done, doing it well, getting it done successfully, and time becomes irrelevant. See, for instance, I know that I will generally have two chunks each year, about six or seven weeks long for each one, where I will be working long days, six days a week. That's fine, and I plan for that. But I also know that there are a few times during the year when my workload is much more slack, and that's fine. I know the metrics of my work, I know what constitutes success, and I make every effort to do my work well. But to do that, I need to manage both my time and my energy, and I've learned that I cannot be innovative and burned out at the same time. 
know what's important, and help people build their work around accomplishing those goals. Now this brings up one of my pet peeves. If you have to expect your workforce to consistently work more than 45 hours a week, you're probably understaffed. I'm not saying that long, difficult weeks never happen. They do, and that's okay. Just like the crazy busy seasons of my own work, it's okay to have a few gusts of overwhelming busyness. But that should not be the norm. See, if you're expecting that of your employees, or of yourself, be careful. They might be working, but you're not getting their best. Keep pushing that expectations, and your best people will leave. Keep pushing that expectation of yourself, and you will burn out. You know, I used this quote from Peter Drucker in episode 3 of season 1, and it's really particularly appropriate here. Drucker said, quote, No institution can possibly survive if it needs geniuses or supermen to manage it. It must be organized in such a way as to be able to get along under a leadership composed of average human beings. End quote. See, that job of organizing the work and doing so in a way that your remote team can thrive and survive, well, my leader friend, that's your job. See, one of my mentors challenged me to improve my own leadership years ago by warning me that you can't just beat them until their morale improves. See, this is why your leadership metrics matter. If you don't know what brings results, it will be painfully difficult for you to motivate your team in that direction. So much bad leadership focuses on active hours or make-believe metrics, and it's up to you to know what really matters and make it possible for your team to meet those goals. That's a big part of what makes work meaningful, and I've talked about meaningful work in a few episodes. It is essential. People have to know what matters, and they have to know that what they do connects with what matters. Now, I have to share this. Somewhere along the way, I had the tables turned on me. I don't even know when it happened. Years ago, I realized that my work life would go better and be more successful if I focused on making my boss look good. I carried my weight, I did what I was supposed to do, and I did everything I could to make my boss look like a genius. One or two of them did everything they could to still look like idiots, but that didn't stop me. I still focused on making them look good. That philosophy served me really well for a lot of years. And then, at some point, I moved into the boss role. I became the leader. And guess what? I discovered that my job as a leader is to make everyone who reported to me look like a genius. You know, I thought at some point it would get to be about me. (laughs) But I was completely wrong. It was never about me, and it never will be about me. I have to confess, that was not easy. Sometimes it takes great effort to share the credit or even to give the credit to those who deserve it. Like everyone else, I like the accolades. But I've learned to help others shine, because they like the accolades too. And sometimes they deserve it more than I do. So, back to the point of all this. If you are leading a remote team, do the hard work to figure out what you should be measuring. Take the time to learn what really makes for results. And remember, it's probably not what you think it is. It's not butts-in-the-seat time. It's not the first thing you think of. It's not calls made, client contact, lines of code written, frames of complete video. It's something else. 
It's the fire in the belly that makes the video great, the code elegant and error-free, the positive interactions with clients and customers. Whatever that is, figure it out and use it to motivate and to encourage the folks you lead. Measure that, and when the results come, reward those results. That's the best way to help manage time and workload for other people. But these guidelines can apply to your own life as well. You can't lead others if you can't lead yourself. And now my COVID-19 benediction. Stay home, wash your hands, tend to one another, and remember that God is still in control. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.